Good evening, and if you're just tuning in, you are listening to UFO Paranormal Radio Network, otherwise known as United Public Radio Network, or we like to call it just UPRN, and you're listening to The Thing, sorry, not the wrong show, The Angel Rock, almost at the thing at the foot of the bed. That's my second show on Thursday nights. <laughs> I'm your hostess, uh, Laura Lee Potvin. A little bit about myself. I'm a Canadian spiritual medium, crystal Reiki energy healer, Akashic Records practitioner, spiritual teacher and mentor. I'm also a budding animal communicator, very well versed with near-death experiences and the paranormal. So welcome you guys. Oh, happy birthday, Kathy Hanley Little. I got to say happy birthday. She said happy birthday to me. Hi, Diane. Welcome. So if you like what you see, please like, share and subscribe. This network's been around for over 25 years. We stream multiple shows seven days a week. And when we're not streaming live, the archive server randomly picks shows over the the last 25 years and uh, you never know what you're going to find on the network we always have new hosts and shows joining the network so uh, be sure to check it out and tell your friends and family because there's something for everybody here i also host a second show i almost said the thing at the foot of the bed on thursdays 7 p.m eastern standard time with my good friend and very talented medium david hansel so be sure to check that out uh, we got a few people popping in here good so we'll have they usually wait a little bit because we usually start after the hour wait for the show before us to get finished and switch over so i know more are going to be joining us also don't forget the network has its own tv channel we are on roku and how you find that you go to the channel store you're going to look uh type in ufo space p as in paranormal there's a drop down list we're about the third or fourth one down and you're looking for ufo paranormal and united public radio uh this stream this show is streaming here tonight i've switched things up so we don't stream it on thursday nights right now i thought well we'll try the angel rock for a while on, on roku but many of the shows are streaming over there so if you want to watch it on your tv please do so only thing you will know if you're watching i can't see the comments from over there and we are also streaming to my instagram profile file tonight so if you are listening i'm going to try to remember to pop over there to see the comments it's a newer thing Streamyards added and they haven't integrated it into the main chat here here yet now we have a very interesting guest for you i just about fainted you when you guys hear this uh, my guest is indeed an australian but he has dual citizenship in canada and australia i'm going to introduce him but i got to say this because i'm still just flabbergasted he is actually from where i live my where i've lived my whole life in thunder bay ontario canada you guys have heard me talk about this before i'm shocked absolutely shocked so i'm going to be reading his bio for y'all before i do though if you guys want to join in the conversation 80 percent of our audience around the world is listening so if you'd like to be part of the conversation we've got halfway paranormal here hi De hi uh, dylan nice to see you hi mish uh she's over in australia too. Um, what you have to do, we're streaming over on UFO Paranormal and United Public Radio on Facebook and YouTube. We're streaming to my YouTube channel, which is the Angel Rock with Laura Lee Potvin. We're streaming on Canada's Most Haunted, obviously UFO Paranormal Radio on Facebook and my Instagram. So like I said, that's under the Angel Rock. So if you want to join in, we'd love to have you here. Both of my shows are very audience participative. So on to my amazing hometown fellow 
guest this evening. I'm super excited about this. His name is uh, Douglas Hudson. Uh, he's a former dean and professor of law, currently residing in Perth, Western Australia. He undertook postgraduate legal study at the University of London before embarking on a 35-year career in higher education in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand as a teacher, researcher, scholar, human rights advocate, and university administrator and we are going to be discussing his book tonight spiritual revelations beyond the veil and it's all about near-death experiences welcome douglas thank you laura for that wonderful introduction and greetings from australia to all of your audience it's great to be with you and i'm looking forward to sharing my research findings with you and your listeners well uh michelle already added she says i'm a south aussie and i'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm a sand groper from WA, so uh, yeah. We're the I've next never over. been speechless. I like you ask. You can ask Douglas. My mm -hmm. mouth was like hanging open because you <laughs> Canada is, and what's mm -hmm. the thing now? Maybe a hundred thousand people, if that. For to find a fellow guest, I did not know is from my hometown city. So, tell us, how did you end up in Australia? Well, I spent my first thirty years in Canada in Thunder Bay. And after I graduated with a Master of Laws degree, I returned to Canada. Mm -hmm. But the employment uh, situation for lawyers in the early 80s was quite tight. Mm -hmm. So I ended up coming to Australia on a four-year contract at Monash okay. University in Melbourne. Right. And I'm thinking that I'd only be here for the four years. And 40 years later, I'm still here and happily domiciled in Western Australia. Well, there you go. You never know where the world's going to take you. But I mean, it really is a small place because when you start talking to people from around the world, you find out, like I said, you're from Thunder Bay, but never mind that. It's almost like we really are six degrees of separation from people, if even that, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle's really rare. She's, she's oi, oi, oi. I know that. I know that here. Ozzy, 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 oi, oi, oi. We have some funny expressions down here. They do. I have a lot of friends from Australia, actually. So, mm -hmm. yeah, after a while, you, and the same is from the UK, you kind of have to learn some of the different terms, right? Versus the mm -hmm. Canadian and, well, North American terms that we use versus around the world. Well, so. that, that's right, Laura. When I return to Canada on occasion and I start speaking, they say, well, where are you from? You have an accent. And when I come back to Australia, they say, well, where are you from? You have an accent. So I'm sort of a hybrid halfway in between Canada and Australia. I did watch a little bit of an interview. I try not to, but I was actually looking for a picture of you because the one they have is really tiny on your on your write-up with the publisher. So I was looking for one in an interview and I thought uh, came up. So I thought, oh, I'll just have a quick listen, check out his energy. And you did sound like you had a little bit of an Australian accent. I knew it wasn't completely Australian. So I guess it depends who you're talking to, right? That's it. <laughs> So let's talk about this. So what got you interested in near-death experiences? Because you had said to me before the show, you haven't actually had one. But what got you into writing about it? Because this is a pretty profound book that you've written. Uh, thank you, Laura. Uh, approximately three decades ago, mm -hmm. I read a book uh, titled Life After Life by Dr. Mm -hmm. Raymond Moody. Mm -hmm. 
okay. his pioneering uh, monograph into the so-called phenomenon of the near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And I was really taken aback by what I read, because at that time, I would describe myself as more of a religious than a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. But I, I was um, totally captivated and fascinated by what I read. Mm -hmm. But being a, a busy university academic, I had very little time for my own recreational or hobby reading. Right. And uh, it wasn't until I retired at the beginning of 2018 that a whole new world opened up to me. And one of the first books that I read was Dr. Eben Alexander's Proof of Heaven. <laughs> the what a book to start with. <laughs> into the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And once again, I was blown away by Dr. Alexander's really graphic and detailed account of the afterlife and the higher spiritual realms. So I tend to be a curious person by nature. Mm -hmm. And as I get older, I find myself becoming more spiritual than religious, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. So I, I began reading all I could on the near-death experience, and I actually found the EANS um, website, the International Association of Near-Death. I just mentioned that before we started. <laughs> yeah. And they, they have a wonderful archives of um, hundreds upon hundreds of written accounts written by people who have had an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. So I began reading them with great interest, and um, they varied. Some of them were relatively short. Others were quite lengthy. Uh, some of them were <clears throat> written in very good English. Others, um, the, the English and grammar, etc., was uh, quite um, suspect, but it, it didn't matter. It was the messaging that really mattered. Mm -hmm. And the more accounts I read, the more I found that these people seem to be saying the very same thing, but in slightly different or nuanced ways. Absolutely. So um, being a good university academic, I began collating the information. And lo and behold, soon after that, uh, chapter headings started to fall into place. Mm -hmm. At that point, I wasn't convinced I wasn't convinced that there was yet a book in it. But then I started reading accounts from indie ears who said, I was at the veil and the being of light told me that my mission on earth had not been completed, mm -hmm. that I must return to my body and complete my earthly mission. And part of that mission was to communicate with humanity uh, all of the divine knowledge, messaging, and revelations that had been imparted to my soul consciousness by the light. Mm -hmm. So before they knew it, they were pulled back into their bodies, mm -hmm. and they were left with this very vivid, detailed experience, and they felt compelled to share it with the world. And the way that many of them did it was to write an account of their experience and to put it on the EN's website. So right. that was the basis of my research material. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's, you know what, and Dr. Evan Alexander, I said, what a book to start with, because if anybody doesn't know who he is, he was a highly respected neurosurgeon in his field. And for people listening, I know you know, uh, but he was a staunch atheist, had no belief in an afterlife or anything like this. And as, and I'm going to tell a short version of the story, obviously, he had, um, came down with meningitis and and ended up having a near-death experience or as we call it in the field an nde and um he afterwards his life was changed and now he writes books he goes around the world talking about all this stuff and you hear this this over and over from people especially those that had no belief in an afterlife um and again, what really gets me going, because as I said to you before, and I've said many times on the show, um, is that I believe I had a near-death experience as a toddler. So I'm going to be 59 in August. So it's a little difficult for me to recall the whole experience. But the really strange thing for myself is when people talk about the colors and the music and maybe what they've seen and the community, all it comes flooding right? I'm getting goosebumps as I talk. I always say that's my sign for truth. And it's like, I know it. I know, but we don't have the words in the English language to explain it. And it's so profound to hear when people, like I say, we'll say NDE instead of the big long term. But my whole point is I get upset with people sometimes. I don't say it, but when people say, well, it's a typical NDE, I don't think there is anything such as a typical NDE. Now, what are your thoughts from looking sort of from the outside, but doing a fair amount of research? Well, I agree, uh, Laura, that each NDE is unique, mm -hmm. just as each soul consciousness is unique to the cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, but there are common themes or messaging which can sure. be distilled from the experience. Mm -hmm. And if I can share with your audience uh, two quotations that, to my mind, describes the pure essence of the NDE. Okay. First quotation is from a French philosopher, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Mm -hmm. And he said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm -hmm. The other um, quotation I'd like to share with you and your audience is a Taoist proverb from the Tao Te Ching, chapter 50. And it goes like this. Life is a venturing forth. Death is a returning home. That's what I call it. <laughs> now, now, I'd like to return to a number of your previous points. Uh, Dr. Alexander was an avowed atheist. He came from a medical and scientific community that had basically been saying for the past three centuries, if something cannot be touched or felt or seen <laughs> with the naked eye mm -hmm. or otherwise perceived with our human senses, mm -hmm. it cannot be considered real. And my experience in reading over 500 NDE accounts is that <clears throat> unanimously they reject that earthly assertion. It's uh, an earthly construct. Absolutely. And the realm of spirit, the world of spirit, is the ultimate reality. So <clears throat> we dream at night 
and we wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. We think to ourselves, that dream was nice, but it wasn't real. That our waking earthly consciousness is real. But in the ears, when they describe the ultimate reality, they say that our earthly life is a mere dream or illusion, that the ultimate reality is the world of spirit. Mm -hmm. And if you look at religions of the East, like Hinduism, mm -hmm. they have a concept of Maya, and they're total, totally in agreement, Hinduism and the Indian ears that our earthly life, although it may seem real to us, is unreal. It's an illusion. It's a dream compared to the ultimate reality of heaven, the higher spiritual realms, whatever you want to call it. And I just want one final point. Um, Absolutely. To come back to the points he raised. Um, yes, many of the NDEers whose accounts I read they said that before their experience, they were agnostics or they were atheists. Mm -hmm. They either did not believe in God or they believed in an afterlife or didn't believe in God or they didn't believe in both. But without exception, they all said that now I have certainty of proof and knowledge of God, the afterlife and heaven. Conversely, there were many people who said that before their NDE, they were very religious, strictly religious. Yes. But afterwards, in time, they felt themselves much closer to nature. They felt more spiritual and religious. And some of them even found themselves to be pantheists, at one with nature mm -hmm. and an intense love for nature. So the points you raised really excited me and I had to respond to them. Thank you. I, I love that because these are things that I talk about when I say being a spiritual teacher and mentor um, and work with quite a few people because I'm finding we have to be careful what words we use because we're on YouTube here. But over the last almost four years, I'm finding a lot of people are waking up. And they're waking up in many arenas, especially when it comes to why am I here? Why am I here? Why do I feel like I'm at a crossroads? Why do I feel like I just, I can't find my, my life purpose? You know, and so they're starting to seek out other avenues such as, and I don't want to make it sound elitist. I don't mean it that way, but someone such as myself, who's been following this path and believe it or not, mine started many years ago, but uh, when I really became well aware of what my gifts were, I'd been using them my whole life, was through an extreme, profound, paranormal experience. Quite evil, actually. <laughs> we shared it on the Travel Channel's uh, Paranormal Survivor, and it turned into a full-time job, looking and pursuing, like, where is this coming from? Why are we experiencing this? And I really believe had I not gone through the experience I did in my previous home, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But when we liken that to near-death experiences, where this began was years ago for me. I remember this as clear as it was yesterday. I was 17 years old. I was going to Lakehead University. I know you may recognize that university from Thunder Bay. I, I went to Lakehead University okay. too. 
I was going in to get my Bachelor of Science in Nursing. It was my first year. And I signed up for a magazine called Nursing, and it was whatever year it was. So it was Nursing 1984. It was the first issue that came. And on the front of the cover, the first thing I saw was, why are we always eating our young? And I went, on a nursing magazine and it was talking about how as senior nurses not having the patience and the fortitude and the strength and the patience to to mentor our new nurses coming in and there are your your future but the most profound thing for me was it was talking about nurses who had witnessed miraculous things and what patients experienced with near-death experiences and then I was hooked at that time, I didn't realize I'd had a near-death experience as a toddler. And the first book I read was by Betty Edie, Enter Into the Light, and I was hooked. I was hooked. I had to know everything that was about it. I Then I started talking to patients about it. And you knew from knowing a patient beforehand and them having a cardiac arrest and being resuscitated and coming back, and I was explaining this to you before, um, we went live that I worked nights. So, you know, once the work was done and I became a nurse to become, a, you know, be with people, not, not to do all the technical stuff, although I loved it. And some of the things these patients would tell me, you knew darn well that when they said it was like I left my body and I was on top of the ceiling and then I was able to go wherever I thought and the things they were explaining there. And I understand that hearing is the last sense to go whether we're in a coma or we're transitioning from this life back home, as I call it. But there were things they knew and things they had saw that you knew they had no knowledge of. And to me, there is no question that there's an afterlife. There just, there isn't. And though I, I would refer to God as source, and that's usually what I have found with people with near-death experiences, that they will refer to God as source. Have you found that yourself? Yes, uh, Laura. The NDEers tend to use varied terms. Uh, some mm -hmm. of them use God. Yeah. Uh, many of them use source. And mm -hmm. in my book, I actually use them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. uh, some people uh, refer to God as the supreme being or the... Oh, yeah universal consciousness or the universal data structure. <laughs> but um, yes, they, they use different terminology, but um, the description is the same. Um, one in the ear described God as love. Well, yeah. that shouldn't be of any surprise to us. Um, but what made her description or his description unique was they used love as an acronym. So L standing for love, uh, O standing for oneness, V standing for vibrations, and E standing for energy. Uh -huh. So many of the NDEers describe God as a being without form, yeah. uh, pure white energy and vibrations mm -hmm. uh, that connects everyone and everything at the deepest foundational level animates and connects all that is and of course is omnipresent and omniscient or all-knowing mm -hmm. so yes there are different labels that are attached to god but it's actually what god is that's in, in my humble opinion the most important 
sorry, just waving hello. Sorry. I wanted to, I'm dying to ask you so many questions, <laughs> especially since you research. So I'm going to, I'm trying to remember that one I want to ask you about children, but I always love to hear people's take, especially if the amount of research you've done. Two things. First of all, somebody from Australia I've had on the show before, Stephen Chong, he hasn't had an actual near-death experience, but it was akin to a near-death experience. I know a few people like that, that the heart did not stop, the breathing did not stop, but they had a near-death experience-like experience, if you will. I, I wanted to ask you about that and also if you ran into any people who, who claim to have had a hell-like experience. So I know it's two questions, but... Right. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think most of the accounts that I was dealing with dealt with people who actually were clinically dead. Uh, their heart had stopped beating, mm -hmm. and they had this out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. They found themselves going down a very dark, what they would describe as a tunnel of light, or some of them refer to a deep, dark valley, and they... <clears throat> are impelled, their soul is impelled almost like a, a magnet, magnetic force mm -hmm. towards a pinprick of white light at the end of the tunnel. Um, others use the term out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. And for example, you've referred to them being in an operating theater. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they find their soul or consciousness outside their physical body and they're looking down at their body, which is on a surgical operating table. So that that's typical of the types of NDE or OBE that I read. But there were certain descriptions that I would call negative rather than positive, but relatively few in number, Laura. I, I would estimate maybe at most 10% of yeah. the accounts I read, maybe 10% um, were on the dark or negative side. And I would put those into three different categories. Um, number one, I would call a transitional experience. So the soul or consciousness leaves the body, but for some reason does not go down the tunnel of light. As one NDE said, they may fear or not accept the beauty of God and will not proceed down the tunnel of light, resists going down the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that the soul or consciousness is too attached to something in the earthly realm. Okay. So it might not want to leave its home. It may have lived in that home for 30 or 40 years and just does not want to detach from it. Or it may not want to leave behind a loved one or a pet or a treasured chattel. So they are caught in between of their own volition or free will. And they're neither here nor there. They're not part of the earthly realm because they're out of their body. Mm -hmm. but they're not in the heavenly or the spiritual realms because they've been offered that choice and they've uh, decided not to proceed to those realms. Now, in Western terminology, 
I think the, the term is um, a disembodied spirit. Oh, yeah, we've run into those. <laughs> in, in Asian culture, they, they call them hungry ghosts. Mm -hmm. But that, that is the first type of what I would call a negative or dark experience. The second one is defined from an emotional perspective. So um, the experience of hell is an absence of the presence of God. It's being in darkness and alone. There is no light. Mm -hmm. There is no evidence of the presence of God. And this has been described as a type of hell. The third type of uh, hellish or negative experience I would describe as a sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I can give you two examples. Okay. Uh, one example was where the soul or the consciousness was being accompanied by a being of light. It might have been the guardian angel or a spirit guide. And for whatever reason, apparently, According to the end of years, everything happens for a higher purpose. Well, the soul was taken to a very uh, dark place of negative energy. And there was uh, screams of wailing, anguish, mm -hmm. yep. pain, and suffering. And the soul or the consciousness was being cocooned in the white light of this being of light. And the being of light said telepathically to the soul, uh, you have been taken here for a reason, but I caution you that if you step out from the protection of my white light, you will never leave this place. The other uh, negative example of a, a dark sensory experience was to the effect that the soul or the consciousness was taken to a very similar place. And this time, the soul, with its soul vision, could see humanoid forms, but they were part of a dark wall. And you couldn't see the torso of the humanoid form because it was embedded in this wall. All that you could see were the arms coming out of the wall and half of the head, including the face. And again, the, these humanoid forms were in a state of anguish, of uh, supreme suffering and despair. And the solar consciousness was shown this, perhaps as part of the so-called life review, before they reincarnate into a new form. So those were the three types of negative experiences I encountered. But to be fair, uh, to be honest, the purpose of my book was to focus on the light and the positive that's energy. And perhaps that, that's the topic for another book, uh, either by myself or someone else who is so inclined. 
Well, I ask you, I have a theory. I always tell people I don't have all the answers, but if everything is energy, which I believe it is, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It can be transferred from one place to another. But I also truly believe there are different dimensions and realms, if you will. And the reason why I say that is, and, and I've mentioned this many times, especially on the other show, I adore my co-host, but he doesn't tend to believe in more negative type experiences for human beings on this planet with something not from the earthly realm. And I've experienced it myself. I know other people have. Could be something I've contracted to experience. Could be many reasons. My whole point of this is, I'm wondering, like, you know, not everybody's running around thinking love and light. They're not. You know, there's some people that think some pretty dark things. And I think part of my reason for being here is to remind, not that I'm going to reach the whole world, but my point is, is to remind people of how powerful we really are as human beings in the way of the gifts that we have and all the things we've been told aren't possible, like telepathy and telekinesis and things like that. My whole point is, and I've seen this, is I often wonder and I agree with many of the things you mentioned, maybe why someone's had a negative experience. And I don't want to focus the whole thing on this. It's just, I think it goes without saying, because you will see people that will see this with a near-death experience, right? And it's very rare. But I'm wondering if their heart hasn't quite stopped, like maybe there's one or two beats per minute or so. Or you know what I mean? They haven't quite left the earthly realm. And instead of when we leave, we either pop out of the body, like you said, I call, what call it the earthly body, um, the soul, whatever. I like to call it the soul, right? We pop out. But if we're not quite there, and instead of coming from earth, the magnetic pull right back to home, that they get stuck in one of these more lower, deeper realms. You know what I mean? Where the negative energy mm -hmm. is, where negative things are, or could possibly be. So I always ask people about this when they come on to talk about near-death experiences, because like I said, I don't have all the answers. I'm just still trying to learn. And I wonder if that makes sense. Because just to add to that, I love this podcast on YouTube. It's called The Next Level Soul Podcast. Have you, have you heard of it before? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to check it out. Oh, it's awesome. It's, so it's um, Alex, I think Ferrari is his last name. I think he was a director in Hollywood. And now he's been pulled towards doing this podcast. So he has people from all walks of life, including people who have had near-death experiences. He had one woman that has had four so far. I can't even imagine four NDEs and she's not an older lady. Like she's maybe in her forties and comes back each time with something new and something different. And you do hear about people telling their stories once in a while of a negative experience. So I, you've given me lots of food for thought here to think about, because I don't think I've heard about all of these things you've shared tonight about that. So thank you. Well, Laura, if I can add to what you've said, um, there could well be um, levels of hell, if I can put it that way, but I didn't read any anything to that effect in the NDE accounts. Mm -hmm. What I did read was that at least one NDE said that there's not just one heaven, there are okay. multiple heavens. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, Muslims believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. Islam says that there are seven heavens. Mm -hmm. one on top of each other. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And if you look at Eastern religions, uh, such as Jainism, they refer to the concept of ascending heavens. Mm -hmm. So by corollary and by logic or by reason, there may be descending hells, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure in terms of your premise about people leaving the body but still having a heartbeat. And Mm -hmm. that's why they're experiencing these hellish experiences. I cannot really usefully comment on that because I don't And that's okay. I just thought I'd that that effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it may well be that, you know, that they somehow enter these lower realms of existence. Uh, for their own edification or evolution of their soul consciousness. I agree, because it could be anything, too, from the religious dogma. They're feeling guilty, maybe, about something that they did on this earth and believing that hell awaits them. I mean, there's many different reasons, right? Just as many reasons as why we come here. And every one of us is here for a reason, as I'm sure you've probably discovered with this spiritual journey. There's a lineup from what I understand with connecting with my own guides and and teachers on the other side. There's a lineup to come here because I always say we come here with most of us with spiritual amnesia. We don't remember our previous lifetimes or you know, what we've learned or accrued or whatever that may be. And we come in these dense, heavy fragile bodies right and it's but it's the place that you come for the most possibility to learn and grow for the soul did you find absolutely that Laura. Mm-hmm. i certainly did as one end of year said um, each of us comes to planet earth um, we each have a unique and tailored mission and that mission may not be prominent in terms of the standards of the world, but for each soul, it is most significant. So we are here to learn, to acquire divine knowledge, but it goes beyond that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are here to learn what unconditional love is. Absolutely. The purest form of love, a love for all that is, a love that does not attach strings to its flow, a love that does not differentiate or distinguish in any circumstances. So we will be asked in our life review, how did you treat others? Did you manifest unconditional love and assistance towards them? Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. What did you learn? 
And particularly, what did you learn from any mistakes you might have made? Um, also, it's a universal law, so I understand from the end to ears, that earthly life, we are intended to have problems and challenges, trials and tribulations, mm -hmm. because that's the only way our soul learns, evolves, progresses. So most of us, when we encounter an obstacle in our life, we tend to grizzle, we complain. But the end of years, without exception, say, hey, this is an opportunity. Look at them positively. Mm -hmm. That each obstacle or burden in our life is an opportunity to discern what particular lesson we were sent to this realm to learn and to master. And you're quite right. According to the end of years, when we come to planet Earth, we live, we leave a state of virtual all-knowingness, and we come here and the delete button is hit, mm -hmm. and we forget most of the divine knowledge. Uh, there must be a higher purpose for that. I'm sure there is. But if, I'm quite excited about this. I think thought of something else. As another end-to-ear said, trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. Because you, you might know something, and you don't recall ever reading it in a book or ever being told of it by someone, mm -hmm. but you just know it's true. It's a fact. It's part of universal knowledge. Claire cognizance. Yes. <laughs> the end of years say, trust your intuition, because that is what you know in between incarnations in the world of spirit. Mm -hmm. But when you come to planet Earth, most of the divine knowledge is erased or wiped. But there's a subconscious level of what you know is a universal law, so go with it. I I agree with you. And like, when I started to mention that podcast, I got so excited. Next Level Soul podcast about the indie years on there. But there are also, you know, those that speak about like the power of positivity, the power of love, unconditional love. But the ones that really, really fascinate me are those that channel from the other side. And it was really interesting. This one lady, she's actually a scientist. I forget her last name. Her first name is Belinda. And she channels the 12 um, angels. Like it's like a chorus of angels, if you will. It's a collective consciousness that she does. And it made, I don't know, see how this, this rings with you. But she had, when she was channeling, she had said that when we're back home, people want to call it heaven, whatever they want to call it, right? Uh, she said, we know nothing but love, right? And the English word of love isn't even enough to even begin to explain the power and depth of that emotion, but we know nothing else. So we do come here to grow and evolve our souls and, and learn. But some of the things she had said was, it's kind of like, how can you know hot without knowing cold? How can you you know what I mean? So she said that we also come here to experience the breadth and depth of human emotion. And because all we know is love. So when we do go back home, right, we know the difference. I don't know if it's almost like an appreciation more of it. Did you see anybody talking about that in your research at all? Yes, I did, uh, Laura. Actually, 
the points you make are the experience of the NDEers, that they face two primary obstacles in conveying to their readers what they experienced. Uh, number one, human language is just too impoverished to convey the, the richness and depth of meaning. Um, one NDEer described it this way, it's like trying to depict a magnificent sunset by drawing it in sand with a, a stick. It just sure. cannot be done. You can never do it justice. Mm -hmm. The other main impediment to conveying the richness and depth of the experience is that we are confined to the earthly realm. All we've known during our incarnation is our earthly experience. And unless you've had an OBE or an NDE, you've had no experience. You, you, you've not lived or uh, sensed the higher realms. Mm -hmm. So as you say, it, it's a bit like trying to describe an orange if, you, if you've never seen one or tasted one. Mm -hmm. So those are the two main impediments. Mm -hmm. But they, they all say that they cannot do justice to what they felt and experienced in the higher realms. Mm -hmm. And they say that negative energy is not permitted to enter into the higher spiritual realms. Yes, nothing but love. It is incompatible with unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So what, what is allowed into the higher realms? Well, of course, unconditional love, uh, peace, bliss, euphoria, acceptance, forgiveness, patience, um, beauty. All of these things are what the NDEers describe as positive energy. And if you look at the sacred scriptures of mainstream religions, it would be considered to be divine virtues or universal ethical principles. Mm -hmm. So they experience this they come back and they try to explain it and they feel hamstrung in their attempts to do so by these um, impediments that I've referred to. But many of them, to their credit, do a magnificent job. And uh, I agree. Th there, there's one, if I can share with you and your Let's audience, mm -hmm. one particular um, description that I read of the ultimate reality. And this NDEer said that my experience was like reading a book on a hot summer day. You're sitting under a tree and you're deeply engrossed in the book that you are reading. So much so that you lose all track of the time and even where you were. So suddenly you're, you're startled and you put the book down. And you realize that you're sitting under this beautiful tree on a hot summer afternoon in the countryside. And this end of year said, life is like the book. We come, become so absorbed in our earthly incarnation with accruing power, wealth, fame, etc., that we lose sight of our cosmic perspective. So putting aside the book, putting aside our human life or incarnation, we reconnect with what truly matters, 
with all of these universal laws and the divine knowledge. So I wanted to share that with your viewers. And that is one of the best descriptions I found of the so-called ultimate reality, or as he's referred to as his home. I do. It just feels it just feels that way when I feel into it, going home. And I I don't know if it's maybe some of the things I've looked at, but some people have had so many different profound experiences rather than you know, many people describe the light and going through the tunnel, but I've heard other people talk about going with, with their guide. They didn't know who this being was, but they knew um, they were pure love, but they traveled throughout the whole galaxy in the universe, and they were trying to explain what they were seeing while they're going through it. There's another one. I forget his name, and he's He's talked, uh, did a talk for IONS on YouTube. He was on the Next Level Soul podcast and he was talking about, he was very successful, happily married, had a little baby and had a three-year-old and they got in a car accident and his wife died instantly and the baby died instantly and the little guy, the three-year-old was still alive and he wanted to, he had an NDA and he wanted to go with his wife and his wife told him, no, you, you have to be there for our son. And he had a horrific, horrific recovery. But I remember he, he explained and it was a dream and he actually was back home and he got to hug his wife to say goodbye finally and his baby picked the baby up in the crib did you hear I, I forget what his name is I want to say it's Brian every time I hear him speak I and I'm not a crier I'm just in tears because he speaks so beautifully and to explain this experience it's so profound did you find different experiences like that at all with your research actually Laura I've, I've had that experience myself on oh, more really? than one occasion yes I've never had an out-of-body experience or an NDE, but I've had very vivid, lucid dreams of the final farewell. It's more like an au revoir mm -hmm. until we meet again. Yes. So it's not a final farewell. Happy <laughs> Yes. Until we see each so other. I, I can relate to what you've just said. But ma many of the NDEers do report that when they're at the veil and they're not allowed to cross over, they can't. Because if they cross over, then they can't return to their earthly body. But beyond the veil, they see humanoid forms, and they consider that some of those would be deceased friends, family, relatives, acquaintances. They're waiting, waiting there for us. So some of them, in fact, one of the NDEers said that if you're involved in a catastrophic accident, and apparently, we feel no pain. True. So shortly before the impact, mm -hmm. we are cocooned in God's love. This is what the end of ears say. Mm -hmm. So we experience um, physical death. It's the release or separation from the body of the heavenly umbilical cord. And the soul then travels down the tunnel of light. But what the end of years have said is that if in the catastrophic accident your body is so badly mangled and your men mental faculties so badly impaired 
you will have no choice. You will not be permitted to return to your body because there is no hope of recovery. Yeah. You must proceed through the veil or through the archway or cross over the pond, what, what have you. So that is what I recall the experience of catastrophic accidents. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of them are able to return because they have not been injured that badly. And in any event, their life mission is not finished. Mm -hmm. They may have dependents that they must care for, or they might have a wider mission, but their mission isn't finished. And that's why they're not allowed to proceed uh, through the veil, even though they very much like to, because emotionally they're in a state of nirvana, utter peace, happiness, bliss, euphoria, etc. And when they're told by the being of light, you must return to their body, and many of them argue. They say, no, no, I'd like to stay here. I'm enjoying it too much. Before they know it, the magnetic pull pulls them back in the back in the physical bodies. Some of the ones I've looked at, though, and it's interesting, um, like I said, I've run into quite a few people for some reason, maybe I'm just meant to, that haven't really had an NDE. Um, I don't know, have you ever run into Garnet Michael Schulhauser? He's Canadian. He's a lawyer. Uh, he met his spirit guide on the street and a homeless man named Albert. I had him on my show. He's fascinating. And Albert never had an NDE, but Albert took him all over the place. Like he, he's, he claims he did go back home. I've met a few people like this that have told me I had two people on my podcast on my previous network, hadn't, didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I said yes to show Monday through Friday. Don't guess. I don't even know how I did it. So the first week I was on, I had two people that didn't know each other. Neither one of them had had a near-death experience, but they'd had like an OBE, out-of-body experience. The two of them were explaining, finishing each other's sentences about buildings on the other side, and it was mind-blowing. And I wish to God they never gave us copies of our previous episodes. Um, I... Like I said, Stephen Chong, who's from Australia, he's coming back on actually for those of you, um, they were really interested, like, because people are very interested in this topic, right? Because that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing, the fear about what happens to us when we die. And he didn't have a near-death experience. He had a horrific fall off of a ladder and he had what you might call an OBE, but he too was able to explain sort of what happens in a near-death experience. So the way I look at this is, I think like our life, I don't think is predetermined, but I think we contract for certain things to happen throughout our lifetime. Maybe we've contracted it in, we know the way we're gonna be living our life generally, and it mm -hmm. gets us back on the right path or whatever it may be. Did, did you find that in your research too, or did you find something different? No, I, I did, Laura. Um, I found about a dozen or so accounts that described uh, what I would call the so-called soul agreement. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something similar that can be found in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Okay. But it, it out of over 500 NDE accounts, I only discerned about 12 of them that had referred to this concept of a soul agreement. Mm -hmm. But... The soul agreement 
apparently between incarnations and after we've had our life review, we, on a collegial basis, um, communicate with the spirit guides and our guardian angels and perhaps even God on the layout or the overall or overarching plan of our next incarnation. So basically, uh, what continent we're going to be born uh, on, the length, the approximate length of our lifetime, um, the type of family we're going to be born into, and the, mm -hmm. the circumstances of the community that we are born into. And those overarching parameters are contained in the soul agreement. And apparently, they cannot be unilaterally unilaterally changed or modified by us, by the soul consciousness. So when we are born, that has already been predetermined, the length of our life on earth. However, that said, um, how we live our life very much depends on us. Sure. We get to choose our life experiences. That's mm -hmm. why we are given the gift or privilege of free will. Agreed. We can choose our own life experiences, the people we meet, the career we, path we follow, the places we travel to, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up to us when we um, reach the proverbial fork in the road, whether we choose the higher or the lower ground, mm -hmm. whether we embrace positive energy or what religion would call the divine virtues or universal principles, mm -hmm. or if we follow the dark path of negative energy, because we are here to learn, to evolve and progress our soul consciousness. And if we follow the light the positive energy, or if we follow the dark negative energy, mm -hmm. that will impact on, of course, our next life review and our next incarnation and the quality thereof. So as part of the life review, the beings of light caution us. They say you must be very careful in the free choices that you make. Because even inadvertently, you might think that you're making a completely innocent choice, but that may negatively impact on countless others. Mm -hmm. So in exercising our free will and in determining the choices we must make, we perhaps should not act that spontaneously, but to act according to divine wisdom and knowledge in making those choices because as the life uh, uh, review will teach us, many of the choices we make, we don't realize even in our thoughts, let alone the words we choose or the actions we take, uh, will have ripple effects on countless others. Absolutely. So if we manifest love to another person, that person in turn because we were kind to them, they will manifest kindness and assist others. And we get to see that in our life review. 
But if we act unkindly and insensitively to others, they in turn might take that negative energy that we have given to them and might pass that negative energy on to others. So there are two metaphors that the end of years use. It's like dropping a pebble into the middle of a still pond and the ripple effects go outwards to eternity. Or you might knock the first domino in a series of dominoes yeah. and they topple others. And this is endless. So you, as part of the life review, you not only see how your positive and negative in, uh, conduct impacted others, both positively and negatively, but you are able to see all of the possibilities mm -hmm. that were open to you. You reached the proverbial fork in the road, but you chose not to take for your own reasons, and they may have been selfish ones. So, the one thing I want to ask you, and I'm going to say hi to Carol and Mario, and just make a because I have seen this with Diane Brighton says here, I'll highlight it. She says, I met Gabriel in my near death experience at age four, and I had a choice to stay or go back. I have seen that quite a bit, but before we talk about that, I, I do want to ask you because. From what I understand from a life review, that it's not punitive. The only person who's the hardest on you is yourself. And from what I understand is that, yes, indeed, I agree with what you say here about you review what you've done in life, including there was one lady, I was looking at her near-death experience, and she had done a lot of charity work and big things and got a lot of, you know, notoriety and publicity for it. And so in her life review, she said she was expecting to be applauded and, you know, like, look at this great thing you did. And the biggest thing for her coming back, she had said, that, which was so astounding, was it wasn't those things that she learned the most from or anything positive really came out of it. It was the little tiny things that she did for other people in kindness that exactly what you said with the ripple effect and what a profound experience it was for that other person, say a little elderly person needing help putting groceries in the car or what have you. But as I understand from the near death experience, so that it's not, it's not punitive the life review because from what I understand, yes, your guides will be with you, could be loved ones, it's usually your guides or angels, but it's ourselves who are the hardest on ourselves and we see the choice that we made that maybe wasn't made in love, it was made in selfishness and how horrible we feel about it when we see or we get to experience the feelings that other people experience because of our actions. And then at the end of it, the person is asked, I understand that, but what did you learn? There was no punishment with it in any way, shape, or form, and I'd love to hear what your research showed you. Sure, Laura. You raised some really interesting um, points, and I'd like to respond to each of okay. them. Um, unanimously, the NDEers say that we are not judged by the source on a reward-punishment basis. Mm -hmm. And the NDEers were told by the light that many of the um, social, cultural, and belief systems that we have on Earth um, impede 
or hinder our ability to understand eternal truths and universal laws. And the NDEers say that we judge ourselves. Yes. We don't really judge ourselves. We, we are not condemning ourselves, but we are life reviewing ourselves mm -hmm. with the assistance of a being of light. Yes. As you said, and as one end of ear commented, why is that so? Because we are our harshest critic. We sure are. But we are led through it. And that's love. It, it is. And it, no, but with love, we're led through it with love, right? Like we're not left to feel these horrible feelings judging ourselves. That that's what every case I've looked at, the person has said, and there's this being of light with nothing but love and saying, okay, mm -hmm. what did you learn from it? Exactly. Right? And and one of the end of years said, in the life review, there's no praise or blame. True. And all that you've done on earth is not so much wrong. Wrong is a pejorative term. But what you did was not helpful to progressing your soul or your consciousness. It did, did not progress your evolutionary journey. And if I can come back to Dr. Eben Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, mm -hmm. um, he indicated in his book, if I can recall correctly what he said, he was told by the light that there's nothing that you can do that is wrong. True. And, and I, I, that, that baffled me when I read his book. What does he mean by that? Because surely there are many things that we've done in life that are palpably wrong and unethical. But I think this is the point, that it, it's the life review is done with love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And it's an exercise in self-realization. And if you look at Indian religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, mm -hmm. what is enlightenment for a Hindu or a Buddhist? It's simply a recognition that there is only oneness, only monism, mm -hmm. no such thing as dualism as we experience in the earthly realm. True. We are separate. We live in a realm of separation and separateness. The observer and the observed are different. You and I are looking at each other half a world away. But in the world of spirit, as one end of ear said, when you leave your physical body, you leave behind the body, mm -hmm. you leave behind the er your earthly identity, you leave behind your possessions, your pain and suffering, your earthly worries and anxieties, everything you've accumulated materially, you leave mm -hmm. behind, you leave behind your power, your wealth. And the end of the year, as she said, I left me behind. When I was in the world of spirit, I was everything and everything was me. Yeah. There was just oneness. Mm -hmm. So the, the Hindus and Buddhists will call, will call that enlightenment or being absorbed into Brahman or Nirvana. And the end of years would say that's the ultimate goal in self-realization that all of us have different levels of consciousness, of spiritual awareness. 
but we're all on the same pathway to God. We share that in common. And according to the end of years, the ultimate goal here is eventual communion or absorption into the light. And at that point, our desires, our cravings, our grasping cease. And we no longer come back either to earth or reincarnate into other physical or non-physical realms of existence. Okay, we have a question here, but one thing I was going to say, I like this and I don't know, I can't quote who said it, but I love it, is we're all just walking each other home, right? Because you're right, we are in all different levels of, of um, spiritual enlightenment, if you will. But where people have a hard time, like I was staunchly raised Roman Catholic, I was forced to go to church every Sunday, I was forced to go to Catholic school, I never really connected with it. I, I For me, my belief is God, I respect all other people's beliefs. And my theory is that I think that if we truly come from a place of love and try to be in a place of service to others rather than service to self, that usually that's a pretty good steering guide I found for myself anyways in life, including when I found, you know, recently, and I'm going to give a shout out to Julie Jean Bassett. She's here. Jonathan's here. Welcome. Um, and I worked with Julie Jean Bassett. She's an animal communicator, phenomenal, as well as a shamanic practitioner. And something I pretty well blocked out of my mind as a small child, and it's been starting to come back in flashbacks. And it was something pretty horrific that should never be done to a small child, ever, ever, ever. And at first, I couldn't even deal with it when it became a realization with working with her. And then all of a sudden it was like a realization came to me. This was a role this person is playing that, that did what they did to me in this human form, if you will, because I always say we're just, we're human here. But when we return back home, we're our whole self. And that's kind of what I was sort of taking from how you were explaining this, or did I misunderstand you? And then Kat, I'm gonna read Kathy's question. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, right. Did it make sense? Like, does that make sense to you that we're kind of just playing a role as a human here? But when we go back home, we are kind of are our whole, our true self because we're human beings come with frailties. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we can have the pill, um, mm -hmm. the duality, the good, the bad, the dark, the light, you know what I mean? Versus there's none of that when we go back home, it's just left. Many of the end of years say that we live our life on earth in a cameo role. Yes. We are, we are playing our role. Mm -hmm. And this is the university of life. So we've been assigned a particular role. And one end of year commented that um, sometimes we experience in our lives um, unresolved problems or tensions or complications from previous incarnations. And these have accumulated and they're still playing out in our present incarnation. Mm -hmm. And if we don't try to resolve those problems mm -hmm. with positive energy, those problems and unresolved um, issues will continue to follow us into future incarnations. And I do recall reading some NDE accounts where um, 
soul consciousnesses follow each other into future lifetimes and connect. Oh, absolutely. I forgot to add one thing with that big long thing I shared. Where I was going with this, with the role, okay, that helped me forgive this person is where I was going to go with this. And I forgot to add that I was thinking about this. It helped me forgive them because it, it, it almost became like a bigger picture to me that this is the role they're playing in this lifetime, but this isn't who they are when we're all back home together. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like they're in that human perspective right now, but you're, how do I want to say more whole? You're who you really are, I guess, in a, oh, yeah. in a soul form is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, what, when we go home, uh, Laura, I, I believe that we tap into um, varying levels of omniscience and we are whole. Um, <laughs> The life review has been described as a purification or cleansing of the soul. Mm-hmm. So we we are, I suppose, as perfect as we can get without being a totally enlightened soul. So we are sent to earth to learn these various experiences. Mm-hmm. But we are assigned roles in life and we encounter energies that may we may have encountered in previous lifetimes but it's up to us how we deal with it in this lifetime and if it's forgiveness if our main lesson in this lifetime is to engage in radical forgiveness which is one of the most powerful positive energies that is our cameo role that we've been assigned to i think we choose it I think we choose to come here and I think we choose the roles and I think we come in with a soul group. Like there's a core group that we choose to have part, like the way it was described by, and again, I'm not great at quotations here, but I've seen so many NDEers talk about this too, that when they look back, they went, holy cow, it was just a big play. Like it was like, this was my play and here's all the players that are in and I could see all the roles waiting to come in. Did you, did you run into that at all? Well, in your research? Many, many of the yeah. end of years described uh, their, their life on earth as, as a, a role play, a cameo yeah. role. Yeah. Um, be, being assigned a certain, you know, role. And when our physical body dies, we're hooked off the stage. In other words, yeah, and we, we return home and, and our role is finished. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a direct analogy there. And if I can come back and tie up a loose end, uh, Laura, if I may. Sure. Y- just you, jump well, in here, Douglas. Yeah. Just jump in. <laughs> You're so polite. <laughs> a couple of minutes ago resonated with me so much mm-hmm. because it was a lesson that I distilled from the NDE accounts I read. And um, you said that some of the things that we regard on earth as as really important mm-hmm. are regarded in the world of spirit as irrelevant, mm-hmm. insignificant, or superficial. Yeah. And what we regard on earth as a trivial action is often regarded in the world of spirit as the most profound manifestation yeah. of love. Mm-hmm. So if I can cite one, one other NDE example, following up on what you said, Uh, This fellow, when he lived, I think he lived in the USA, he was a very prominent and uh, affluent business person. And he was walking down the street one day, and he was a philanthropist. He he did give to charities and Mm -hmm. was quite gratified that he could. 
he had the opportunity to do so. But he saw a young woman at a bus stop, and she was quite disheveled and mm -hmm. broken, and she her head was hung over, and he stopped and asked, are, are you okay? And sat down beside her. And he uh, spent about 20 minutes with her and perked her up a little bit and might have given her some support and said, well, if, if you're okay, then I'll proceed on my way. And he, he left her um, in a better condition than when he first met her. Mm -hmm. Now, on his life review, he was asked, what did you do in your life that was not motivated or actuated by the prospect of personal gain? Mm -hmm. So he immediately, he came to mind, well, I was a regular uh, uh, charitable giver. I yeah. gave to all of these different um, charities. Mm -hmm. And the being of light said no. No, you, you have much more profound manifestations of love during your earthly lifetime. And he had, he had actually forgotten this experience, but he was shown in the A lot of people do, right? They say that they forgot about yeah. these little things. <laughs> and the being of light said, you helped this young woman. Had you not intervened, she was going to take her own life. But in the end, she resolved not to because of the kindness you manifested towards her. And that is the point. That is the point here. That those things that we regard as important on earth are not considered so in the realm of spirit. It's the small kindnesses that matter. And if you look at the Holy Quran, there's a chapter in the Quran called the small kindnesses. These are things that we've probably forgotten that we've done, but they are considered in the realm of spirit to be the most profound manifestations of love. One example was feeding a stray cat and taking it to a temporary shelter. Mm -hmm. Or the example you gave as you're leaving a shopping center helping an elderly person with their bag of groceries. These are the things that really matter in the realm of spirit. And this, I believe, uh, Lore, is what is to be communicated to humanity at this point in human history. I, I believe we were on the cusp or threshold of a great spiritual era in which the unseen world, which has hitherto been largely unknowable to us, mm -hmm. is now being revealed, thanks in no small part, to the revelations which have been brought back by the end ears from the veil. And if I may be permitted to indulge myself in another quotation, Please do. Um, again, it's from the Holy Quran from um, chapter 17, The Journey by Night, verse 85. And it goes something to this effect. The world of spirit is one of the things, the knowledge of which is only with God or with Allah or the source. Mm -hmm. Humanity has been given only a little knowledge thereof. But I detect in the last five years or so, 
Uh, this knowledge of the unseen realms has been opening up exponentially mm -hmm. due to the end of years, to people such as yourselves who have taken on board the task of sharing the light with others by Reiki masters, by people conversant with communicating with angels. In the realm of spirit, which was mostly the province of the source or God up until now in human history, mm -hmm. for, for a higher purpose, which maybe we don't know at the current time, but ultimately it will be revealed, this is now being shared with humanity. And this is the main purpose of my book, to answer the questions that really matter, which up until now have been considered metaphysical. Metaphysical in the sense that they cannot be answered by science or medicine, by an objective study of material reality. So many of us at some point in our lives, we think, well, is there God? Or is there a source or a supreme being? Is there a heaven? What happens when I die? Some of us might fear death. When I die, what happens? And does my consciousness evaporate into an empty void of nothingness? Mm -hmm. Or does my consciousness transcend the death of my body? Does it transcend time and space? What, what are the higher spiritual realms like? You know, what is the meaning of life on earth? Mm -hmm. Is humanity alone in the cosmos? Many believe we are alone. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> the ears say that um, there are an infinite number of universes, dimensions, and realms of existence, both seen and unseen, of vast complexity, only a few of which interact with planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So to think that humanity, we are alone in the universe, uh, has been described by many end to ears as somewhat xenophobic. That that's, uh, you know, we are not alone. <laughs> in in terms of spiritual evolution, we are right down there. We are when I connect with the other side, including say when you go into the Akashic records, I deal with them. We call them the masters, teachers, and loved ones. My mentor taught me that, and there are beings from other realms, including ascended masters and angels and elementals and i mean i could go on and on and on right but the one thing i wanted to mention i don't think i had mentioned during this show um i always say i've been so deeply blessed to be there hundreds of times at the beginning of life i worked in the nicu with critically ill little ones and then when i worked out in the community when i hurt my back yes i did lots of technical stuff and program development and what have you but the thing that really touched my life and changed my life and i almost didn't take that job was i started it was called for those of you that aren't from canada but it was called the victorian order of nurses and it still exists today and we did community nursing and I was hired, and then I found out that I was going to, you'll know where it is coming from Thunder Bay, the Simpson Street, uh, East End area yes, of the city. Yes. That was my area to run full time. And I used to go into, you'll know the old hotels that no longer stand, but the Empire and the West. Mm -hmm. 
very yes. dangerous hotels. I used to go in there all on my own, went in my office once every two weeks. That guy's always used to joke, joke and say it could have been strung up and hung up on a wall and no <laughs> one would have found me for weeks. But you know what I found? Yeah. That there was murder there. There was everything you could possibly think of, of the lowest vibrational energy and crime. I found some of the most profound beautiful people that had nothing that would give you the clothes off their back. I found it was the biggest life teacher for me because I can tell you where I'm going with this is my most rewarding uh, part of my career was doing uh, palliative care and being at the bedside if somebody chose to die at home. And I can tell you, from looking after people that were multimillionaires to the poorest of the poor. And nobody ever said, I wish I had more money. I wish I had did this. I wish I had, you know, it was about material things. It was always, I wish, I wish I'd let the people around me who meant the most to me to let them know how much I love them and things like that. And including when people did pass away terminally, and even when it was unexpected, but especially terminally, and I'm writing a book about this actually, you, we would witness as nurses some of the most profound, miraculous, beautiful things that were completely unexplainable, including many of them talked about loved ones being there. And don't you see the angels and don't you see this and just super profound, including the gift. I, I've named it the gift. You'll hear other palliative nurses call it many things where somebody that you, the physical signs of them ready to leave the earth are there. And all of us, it doesn't always happen, but quite a few times it did where the person you might get five or 10 minutes, you might get six or eight hours. Those ones were hard with families because they would think a miracle had happened. But the person was perfectly lucid, able to be exactly like who they were before they got sick and sort of complete or finish off those conversations. And so it'd be interesting to hear in your research you mentioned the beings of light, but did you run into many that ran into family and things like that? Or was it always a, was it always a being of light in your research with an NDE or? Well, if I can return to this um, phenomenon you've re been referring to, Laura, um, it's what Dr. Eben Alexander refers in his book to terminal lucidity. Ooh. And this is quite, quite a common phenomenon experienced by the medical profession and members such as yourself. That when uh, the person is about to pass, mm -hmm. their cognitive abilities return intact, mm -hmm. um, even though they might have had a debilitating mental... Mm -hmm. um, I call it the gift. The I don't gift. know where it's from, but it's a gift. And uh, if mm -hmm. I can share with you, I was watching a documentary on the life of Johnny Cash Okay. Recently, the country and Western singer. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he had a brother, an older brother. His name was Jack. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, Johnny and Jack loved each other dearly. They were very close uh, as brothers. Mm -hmm. And one day, Jack was working at a, a lumber mill. And somehow he got caught in the blade of a saw. And it ripped open his chest cavity. And he lingered for about one day. And in the hospital, um, Johnny and his mother and 
the grieving family were around Jack, who was given no hope to survive. And at one point shortly before he passed, the brother of Johnny Cash, Jack, said, Mama, can you hear the angels? Can you hear the angels singing, Mama? Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful, and I want to go and join them. Mm -hmm. This is an, an example of terminal lucidity. I've heard of many accounts of this happening, that <clears throat> your life partner might have passed away 20 years before mm -hmm. uh, you're about to. But that, that love, loving partner comes back and is ready to escort you down the tunnel of light to the veil to be greeted by other relatives, your spirit guides, your guardian angels, and so forth. Um, and that, that's been the object of study by the medical profession. And th there is something to it. The, the medical people and the scientists haven't been able to discount it because it's happens so often, and, and uh, there seems to be something real to it. Mm -hmm. so I have heard of that. I didn't. Re I don't recall in, in reading the NDE accounts um, many such encounters because, after all, these are people who actually came back and survived. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't cross over the veil. Mm -hmm. So they, they do say they proceed down the tunnel of light, and sometimes they are accompanied by um, deceased relatives who act as guides during mm -hmm. the out-of-body experience uh, until the experience is over. I have to ask you, Kathy, I haven't forgotten about your question because Kathy had added death is, to me is liberating. And I am going to get to your question in just a sec, but I've been dying to ask you about this. In your research, because I have done a lot of research in this area because it is just so profound to me because I truly believe that little children, very young children, just like animals, can very clearly see spirit. I call it spirit collectively. And I used to say it was because they live in the now, right? They're not encumbered with bills and, and worrying about what's going to happen a week mm -hmm. down the road. And then I believe I can connect with my guides and the others. I think we all can. It's just being, you know, we've never been led to believe that. But my whole point is, I was about to say that on one show, I think I was a guest, and I literally heard, it's because they've been told they never, that they can't, that they've never been told they can't. Like they never been told they can't see spirit or they can't hear spirit or what have you. But I really looked at the near-death experiences of children and I'd love to hear if you've looked at that because it's just, I feel, I don't know if it's because they're so close to where they've come from, you know, with not many years in between or what it is. So I'd love to hear what you found sure. with that. Um, I don't recall any of the NDE written accounts being written by young children uh, or whether it was written by a guardian or a parent okay. uh, or what have you. But I can tell you this, uh, Laura. Uh, children, um, young children have spontaneity. They have joy. Mm -hmm. They have purity and innocence. They have humility. Uh, they are gentle. They are quiet. No These are all divine qualities. Mm -hmm. uh, as you say, they live in the now. Mm -hmm. 
they are not distracted by the many amusements and distractions and worries of this world. They are happy and spontaneous. As such, they are closer to the source or the energy in the higher spiritual realms. And I've seen many documentaries in which children have a so-called invisible friend. Oh, yeah. I work with a lot of parents with that. <laughs> and, and I, I believe, my belief doesn't matter, but I do believe that this is authentic. This is genuine. Absolutely. But, but, but they, they have not delved into negative energy as most adults have, and they are pure and more innocent, and as such, they can connect with the energy of these other realms much better than we can as adults. Mm -hmm. So I really think there is something to that. And if you look at religious scripture, um, it, it's something to, to be like a child. In fact, one of the end of years said, what a blessing it is to end your life on earth with the attitude of a little child Children have joy. They're spontaneous. They're curious about things. They want to learn more and more. They're pure. They're innocent. And no hatred. No hatred. No aggression. Young children, they don't find fault with others. They don't have fear. Fear is one of the greatest negative energies that we have. Some of us fear living. Others fear dying. But that's another main message of the end years. Fear is a human or earthly construct. It is a really intense form of negative energy that holds us back from the, the light, the energy of the source. It's the chains that bind us because fear is what's, again, when I was talking about end of life, the regrets people had, I, you know, go do it now. Don't wait till you lose those 30 pounds or, or I'm going to do this. Once I do that, do it now. And the only thing that stops us people will, you know, as a, a spiritual medium and psychic, people will ask me questions. Well, should I do this? Should I do this? You, you obviously are feeling the call to do it, do it. And there's an old saying, jump in the net will appear. And I know it's very cliche, mm -hmm. but it's true. And what people forget, too, that all we have is now. That word's already in the past. We can't change it. I just said now. All we can do is move forward. And, you know, to, and you'll see, and I'm sure you've seen this with your research with NDEers, the, the fear is gone. There's not a fear of death. They know that we're looked after. We, they know why we're here. They know that we're here to live life and experience it to its fullest and utmost. Would you agree with the research you've seen? Yes. Um, the NDEers say that when our soul leaves our physical body, Mm -hmm. The only thing that we can take with us is the love we've manifested to others. Mm -hmm. That love that we gave others is ours to keep for an eternity. Everything else we leave behind. And that is what Eastern mystics call detachment. Oh, detachment from the world. Mm -hmm. Issues of personal power, notoriety, fame, 
material wealth, etc. We can't take them with us when we die. So why do we preoccupy ourselves with them during our earthly incarnations? Because people want people want fame, they want power, and then when they get and I always ask this to people that are exorbitantly wealthy and they continue to try and accrue more and more wealth. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. It's just like when is enough enough? Like I always say, if I ever won the lottery, all I'd want to do is make sure my children were financially you know, comfortable. I'm financially comfortable. And then the rest, I'm either, I, like I said, I adore animals. My co-host David and I always joke if we win the lottery. Well, we don't joke. We would do it is open up an animal rescue for people. Or you know what I mean? Like help others with the wealth. There's enough of everything on it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Laura, my, my wife and I love animals dearly. We have four mm -hmm. pets and we donate to animal charities, but, um, Yes, this is the point. Mm -hmm. You know, we, the end of years consistently reassure us that a beautiful afterlife is awaiting us. Mm -hmm. So why why fear the death of our body? In fact, many of the end of years, when they come back, they say, "I can't wait to die again. I can't wait to get back there." That's true. What I experienced was so beautiful. But you know what, I'm just so glad that you said, I want to throw this in here quick, sorry, but you brought this up and then there was, so, there's so much, I could talk for hours about this because it's just, it's so incredible and I wish more people would know this instead of being afraid, but I have not met one any ear that has come back, maybe there has been one, and I always say if there has, maybe it's because they, it they needed to experience what I'm about to say because for whatever, to learn something from it. But every single person, either in mediumship or NDE years, their soul leaves the body before the actual physical death happens. And then us as people on this, you know, the family that's left behind and what have you, we torture ourselves with the thought of what our loved one went through, that they don't, they, they always report they don't experience the actual physicalness of their death, like say it's something very painful. When they go back, I've seen many talk about, like I had to go back into this horrible broken body, say if they got in an accident or something. Did you see that too? I did. Uh, Laura, a number of NDE accounts said that if you have had a chronic disease or illness, mm -hmm. you, you of course suffer with that. Mm -hmm. But at the moment of death, the actual death of your physical body, it's painless. It's a simple peaceful transition. Yes. As easy as going to sleep, they always say. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like going to sleep without going to sleep. Mm -hmm. Because you enter realms of elevated awareness and expanded consciousness. Mm -hmm. But I've also heard what you've just said, that coming back to your body, when the being of light said, no, you can't stay, you must return to your earthly life, that coming back, and being forced back into your human body it is uncomfortable because our, our physical body essentially entraps our soul or, or consciousness. It's dense and heavy and clumsy. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It, it's like a caterpillar. And when we die, our physical body dies, we turn into a butterfly and we, we leave our dense lower vibrations behind and enter a realm of higher vibrations 
and elevated awareness and expanded consciousness. And I'd like to come back to another point that you made that, again, excited me. I can't help myself. The eternal now. Mm -hmm. This is it. it. Buddhist philosophy says we must live in the now, the present moment. Because if we're always thinking of the past, worried about the future, we can't undertake our daily tasks wholeheartedly or undistractedly. We will always undertake them superficially, in the past or in the future. Mm -hmm. But according to the end of years, in the realm of spirit, in heaven, for example, there is no such thing as the past or There's the no future. Time. <laughs> time, time as we experience it on earth is linear or sequential. But in the world of spirit, there is only the present, the eternal now. However, the present, according to the end of years, includes everything that has gone before and everything that will ever happen. Mm -hmm. So our spirits or our consciousness, when we're in the world of spirit, we transcend the restrictions of earthly time and space. Absolutely. We can essentially become time travelers. Mm -hmm. Give you an example. There was one soul who, I think during the life review, um, he or she had an intense interest in New York City of the <laughs> 1940s. Mm -hmm. had, had read heaps of books and watched all the movies of New York City in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. So the spirit guide decided, well, I'll take you back there if you want to go. So okay. instantaneously, the soul found itself on a New York street mm -hmm. in the 1940s. It knew that because it could see the style of a tire or cars mm -hmm. buildings, the type of cars. And this was reiterated by Dr. Eben Alexander in Proof of Heaven that in the world of spirit, we can access any time, any historical period or place on earth. All that we have to do is think of it. Yeah. We move consciousness towards it. So movement in the world of spirit is controlled by our thoughts. So I'm really excited because one of my uh, hobbies is mm -hmm. a study of Roman military history. So okay. I'd love to go back and see the conquests of Julius Caesar in Gaul. You could do it now, though. You know how you can do it? I have is remote viewing. Remote viewing. Remote viewing. You, uh, absolutely, you can go back. Most people aren't as adept mm -hmm. as moving forward, but I've, done a, I've actually taken a couple courses with it. And um, I am telling you, some people can do it naturally. You can remote wow. view. You could go back there. You could see it. You could probably find some buried treasure that was dead. You could do all kinds of stuff. You can do it. I swear to God, you can. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware of that. I've learned something new, Laura. Well, and we'll have to talk more I'm, because I'm, I'll connect I'm, you with some resources. But anybody can I, do remote viewing. Oh, I'd love, Just, I'd love to uh, to learn it. Can anyone learn it? 
anybody can learn it. You have to practice a bit at it. Like I said, some people are naturals at it. I will tell you before, we, we didn't get to, to Kathy's question, but you know what? I might just have to have Douglas right back on again, and we'll have to, uh, again, in the future, near future, oh, we can continue this right. conversation. But oh, I'd love to come back. I'd love to have you back. So what I was going to say with the remote viewing, um, there was actually in the U.S. military, there's a movie called The Men Who Stared at Goats with uh, George uh, Clooney. And there was a couple other stars in it. It was based on the unit of the U.S. military. I think it was called Project Stargate. And they had a remote viewing actually unit. And Lynn Buchanan was part of that. Uh, he's he's actually in his 80s, but he's still teaching. I think it's Lori Johnson is her last name. I always get her last name wrong. They run a free four-day masterclass. Uh, Dr. Chuck Kennedy, he does a different type of remote viewing. He teaches, but I'm telling you, you can do it. There is a guy actually that one of the business people, uh, big companies hire around here very quickly because they're almost out of time. Um, that they hire him because he remotes remote views into the future and can tell them whether certain business um, endeavor is going to be successful enough. That is fascinating, Laura. I wasn't aware that you can remote view in the past, yep. but uh, th that's tremendous. I'd like to do more reading on that actually. Awesome. I, well, we'll we'll talk for a minute or two. I know it's early over there and it's Tuesday morning, but I'll I'll um, make sure I can get a hold of you afterwards, and I'll send you some resources or anybody else who's interested. You got. Well, I'm going to tell you at the end, anyways, how to get a hold of me. I'll send you some resources and tell you how to get a hold of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So we people shared some wonderful comments. Sorry, guys. You know, we usually we pull up comments and a lot of you shared some really profound experiences that you either went through having your own NDE or that you experienced when you were at the bedside with a loved one. And we really appreciate the comments that you left here. So thank you for sharing them, even if we didn't get a chance to read them. But we only got a few minutes left. So how can people get a hold of you? Because this isn't your first book you've written, is it, Douglas? No, no, it isn't, uh, Laura. I wrote a book that was published last year mm -hmm. called Transcendental Spirituality, Wisdom okay. and Virtue. Oh, I love and it. It looks at um, 12 of the world's mainstream religions from mm -hmm. the East and the West. And it identifies 36 universal ethical principles which binds or unites these 12 religions together. What I found was that in terms of this religious diversity, there's an underlying spiritual unity. And that spiritual unity was reflected in my second book, which I've spoken to today, mm -hmm. in terms of positive energy. Ooh. And I'm excited to tell you that in August, I have a third book coming out called The Near-Death Experience and Sacred Scripture, The Parallel Messaging. So, well, you might be coming on more than one more time because you're going to have to come on and talk about the new book. I didn't mean to cut you off, but so quickly, what's it about the third one? Because you're going to have to come back and talk about that if you will. Well, it closes the loop, so to speak examines the distinct similarities and parallels, the uncanny parallels between what you can find in sacred scripture of both Eastern and Western religions and what the Indi-ears have reported in terms of what they learned at the veil. Ooh. So this is out in August. 
Okay. And I'm excited to talk about that book as well. So I'm happy to come back on the program. I'm very sorry I didn't get a chance to address the comments or questions of your audience. But they understand. They were very vested in the conversation because sometimes we have, like there was, I have so many things I wanted to ask you about we didn't even get to. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a very open person. I'm quite happy for your listeners to contact me by my personal email. It's dchodson53 at gmail.com. And I don't mind if they want to contact me and ask me questions or say, yeah, that, that resonated with what I experienced. So, uh, yeah. Everybody's leaving that. great comments. I'm highlighting them right now. Everybody's enjoyed you. We'll have Douglas back on. This is some of our regular crew that's usually here that left the comments. And I always put up a banner um, on all social media platforms so people know when you're coming back on. And then you guys, if you're open to it, please share. We'll get it. I wanted to hear more about this because I'm always fascinated by people who do the amount of research that you've done with near-death experiencers. Um, so I really appreciate that. Lastly, though, before I tell people where to get a hold of me, where can they buy your books? Uh, well, a Amazon US or Amazon Canada, uh, Kindle, okay. uh, through my um, publisher, Zero Books, uh, www.zerobooks.com. Mm -hmm. um, most online booksellers, um, Barnes & Noble, uh, Indie, um, Hive. Yeah. Our chapters, okay. chapters in Canada. But okay. I'm very much connected with you, Lori, in terms of what you've experienced and what I read in the NDE accounts. There was a remarkable synchronicity. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I think started before the show. For those of you joining late, I've read, um, if you don't realize, I did not know this about my guests, as I've told you. You should get just a few minutes before we go on the show. But Douglas did his homework on uh, who I was the night before. I guess that we found out, everybody. Douglas is from the city I live in that I've grown up in and lived my whole life, Thunder Bay, Ontario, but he's over in Australia. Like, what are the chances? <laughs> and Laurie, before you go, mm -hmm. that part of Fort William that you worked as a nurse and had yeah. those profound experiences, mm -hmm. I used to drive a taxi cab in that same area. And in fact, my, my grandma, son lives in that area now, not on Simpson, right? and it's becoming young people's areas to buy houses now. And that's okay. where my son lives. <laughs> and that, that was the education of my life. I learned more as a taxi driver than I did spending seven or eight years in university. I, so I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it was life-changing. You guys, I want to thank you all so much for being here. As always, I want to thank you, Douglas, for being here. I can't wait to have you back mm -hmm. on. Okay. And if you ever want to get a hold of me to either book a reading, I do energy healing, I do Akashic Records, I do teaching, teaching and mentoring, you can get a hold of me on facebook.com forward slash the angel rock or just message me. You can get a hold of me on under uh, Laura Lee Potvin or the angel rock on any social media platform you can think of. I'm on there. Um, also, I have two groups on Facebook, Paranormal University for all things paranormal, the angel rocker tribe for more of the spirit type things like what we talked about tonight also don't forget to join me i'll be back thursday night 7 p.m with david hansel with the thing at the foot of the bed and don't forget we've also got a group for that 
or uh, for that show, I guess I should say, because we show lots of clips and things like that. It's the best and easiest way to find it. It's on Facebook under the same name, The Thing at the Foot of the Bed. Again, thank you so much for being here, Douglas. And I wonder pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to say very quickly, if you've enjoyed what you're seeing, don't forget to hang around. We've got Philip and uh, Julia Syracuse, friends of mine, and obviously our network with the Horsefly Chronicles coming up next. All right. We'll see you on Thursday, everybody. And next Monday again, much love and light, everybody. Stay tuned for a sec, Day, uh, Douglas. Thank you. Please. <laughs> mm -hmm.